No, he poisons cats. And Tootie's like, yes, first he buys meat, then he buys poison, and then he puts them together. Like, she explains how one might poison a cat. <laughs> and then he puts them, because that's how little kids, little kids would be like, how would he even do that? How do you poison a cat? <laughs> Isn't it a lovely day, Lillian, dear? Heavenly, Piper. Simply heavenly. Hooray! <laughs> well, you guys, it's time to talk about Meet Me in St. Louis, which is how this movie title is pronounced, to answer Lillian's mm-hmm. previous question. Though, we did have a minor discussion about it in the film itself, of whether this is St. Louis or St. Louis. So... Welcome. It's the Christmas episode. Happy Yay! holidays. Happy holidays. Lillian, was this your first time seeing Meet Me in St. Louis? It was my first time seeing this wild film. A wild in a good way? Wild <laughs> in the most like cozy, comfy way. <laughs> oh my gosh. I so this I grew up with this movie. I said to Lillian off air that my I was raised in a movie centric household like my family communicates through movie quotes if you say something in casual conversation that sounds vaguely like a quote from a film that we all adore my parents will literally stop you point at you and say hey say it right and then you have to quote the film it's like a, a rite of passage in the Cleveland Perfect. Hammer household. So this movie is one that has many lines that we frequently uh, say. I think one of the ones that my mom says almost at least once or twice a month to me specifically <laughs> is she says, yes, do that little thing, which is something that Rose <laughs> says to her boyfriend on the phone. Oh so God. I have a great connection with this film and I am so excited to hear what your initial thoughts are. I think we'll, some people are listening to this probably not knowing the plot of this um and they're like that's that's fantastic for you what is this movie even about which was I had no concept of the plot and then also did forget (laughs) that it's my turn to do the summary Mm -hmm. so get ready for the least accurate summary that I'm gonna decide to go short instead of (laughs) long and rambly per usual (laughs) Amazing. Um, Okay, I'm going to pull up my little stopwatch here, as is tradition on the podcast. Mm, And as mm -hmm, we know, the holidays mm -hmm. are all about tradition. So whenever you're ready, Lillian. So we start with a family in a giant mansion with the cutest kids. Um, And they are talking about what time they're going to have dinner whilst all tasting the same soup. Um, And we get introduced to... Rose and Esther and Tootie and the third, fourth daughter. And also um, there's a brother who's not at dinner. I don't think he's at dinner. It doesn't really matter. He's at dinner. (laughs) There's a lot of people and they all have big characters and they're very cute. And the dad is officially in charge, but he has never been in charge of anything in his entire life. Um, And there's some drama. We learn that Rose has a boyfriend in New York who's calling her long distance and he's going to propose, but then he doesn't propose. And we meet the boy next door with the very specific dialogue that Piper and I did as like fake little like chit chat dialogue at the beginning. And these, the, because the next door neighbor, Esther, who is played by Judy Garland is in love with, and then lots of 
deeply unrelated songs are sung kind of throughout this story. <laughs> there's a party. There's the most intense Halloween of all time. Then there's a very sweet Christmas ball thing where people have a lot of problems that are solved much more easily than they solve them in the movie. Um, but at the very end, a very sad Christmas song is sung that I have sung a million times, not knowing it was to a child who was crying. And then the dad finally realizes that his plan, which by the way, Christmas is sad because they're going to move to New York and everybody's sad about it. And I was super sure that was definitely going to happen. Um, <laughs> and then the dad goes, hold on. I don't actually have to make my children cry at Christmas. Let's just stay in St. Louis, the best city in the world. And then they all go to the fair, which they've been talking about a lot throughout the world's fair in St. Louis, because St. Louis is about to have a big, big boom. Um, <laughs> and there's a million other things that I simply cannot which the, a plot summary doesn't exist for this story. <laughs> I was just going to say you don't a plot summary is a summary of the plot. You're not supposed to say every detail. So but also like so many things have like I there's no structure to this tale. Oh my gosh. Um in fact, okay, so first of all, Lillian, that was a 2 minute 13 second review. So sorry. I would argue there is brilliant structure to this film. Thank In you. fact, my first note is that I kind of adore that this has a four-season narrative structure. Yes. We begin with summertime, we then move on to autumn, winter, and we end in the spring when there's going to be the Louisiana Purchase Exposition, as Tootie tells us, which, aka the World's Fair being held in St. Louis itself. Which, I love how the movie opens with everyone singing the main song, Meet Me in St. Louis, which I didn't actually do the research on this, but at least in the universe of the musical movie, Meet Me in St. Louis, this was a song that was written to promote the World's Fair at in St. Louis, which I think is a common thing that does happen. They write songs about it in that time period when that happened. So everyone and their sister and their brother and their best friend's neighbor, they're all singing this song, Meet Me in St. Louis, Louis. And the family's obsessed with it, but the dad is like, oh my God, it's going to be months until the fair opens and no one will shut up about the stupid fair. <laughs> so he's a very overworked man who's trying to support a big eccentric family. So I get why he's burned out by the song. <laughs> it is from the fair. It was written nice. and popular in 1904. Very cool. As a celebration for the fair. Awesome. 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 So I want to go through this because I made very specific notes about like each scene, but I I'm think so excited. <laughs> one of the things that I want to say off the top, two things really stood out to me upon this viewing. One, I've always giggled through this film with my family because my family, like we have all these inside jokes whenever we watch it, but watching it now and like taking notes, I'm like, this is a comedy. This is a funny For film. sure. <laughs> I love the comedy in this movie. It's actually very witty and I think still very relevant, the kind of humor that you find in this sort of family dynamic. And it's so well written. And that's my second note is that this is such a family movie. And I don't mean that just like, oh, it's like a family film that you see with your kids. I mean, it's a movie about family. Mm -hmm. And that's another thing that I love. And I think a kind of common through line that we've had in a lot of our uh, palette cleansers, because I get the same kind of family-centric stories and joy that we see in like Pride and Prejudice and that we see in Little Women. It's mm -hmm. these big family units and they have this little society within them of constant joys and sorrows and like coming togethers and fighting with one another. And it's wonderful. So 
I'll stop talking now. <laughs> no, please talk forever. I I completely agree. There's lots of themes in this movie that connect to themes from our our other things that we've watched. Jane Eyre-esque moments. The the comedy in this, the humor in this is this movie is so funny. Yes. Um, something <laughs> I'm genuinely, this is all I'm gonna say about it is like, it's from 1944. There's some racism in here, you guys. Well, duh. It's a time <laughs> thing. <laughs> and we say, well, duh. It's still bad. But, like, racism is bad even when it's in the past. But it's <laughs> ju- just, like, I think other than the parts where I was like, oh, holy shit, that was so racist. But in a way that made me, like, laugh at them, not with them. Most of the time, I was laughing with them. Yeah. Like. The things that they said, and also I think it was one of the things that I enjoyed about this is like, I think for the most part, having a politically correct culture has been better for us in many, many ways. But my God, did they make these this child say the most buck wild things to make oh, me laugh specifically? My gosh. Okay. Can we so, talk about Tootie, please? Let's talk about Tootie. Yeah, let's open with her. Okay. So um, you did a good job, by the way, in the beginning in your summary of mentioning most of the children's names. So yes, our protagonist, I just want to do a quick roll call. Please. Thank you. Um, Our protagonist is Esther. Her Mm -hmm. elder sister is Rose. The two youngest children, we have Tootie, who is the baby of the family. And then it's Agnes, which is her slightly older sister. Um, And then there's also the eldest child, which is, uh, oh God, because he's named after his father. They're both Loren, no, not Lorenzo. Lloyd? Um, Well, they had like a short name for him. I know this um, because I was like, oh, that's a cool name, but it's not Lorenzo. It's something like Lorenzo. (laughs) Anyway, he's the elder brother who's off to college and home occasionally to hang out with them all. But yes, so those that's the family. But yeah, Tootie, what an incredible child. She is all of the fiery passion of a young Jane that we love. Uh-huh. But I am obsessed with how tomboyish she and Agnes are, and especially Tootie's like obsession with violence and death. It's just so well, good. And how we meet Tootie is the... F- best yeah so funny she so she they're like where's Tootie oh she's working on the ice truck again she I'm sorry she's what now it's definitely not her actual job I think Tootie is like oh this seems like it would be fun so she jumps on the back of the ice truck and just rides around with the old man and his donkey delivering ice it's just like it's one of those like what uh, oh no hold on there was no point when children the age who's supposed to be four Mm-hmm. Was just like allowed to get. No, she's, <laughs> she's five, but because she talks about it, she's like, "How old is the donkey?" And he's like, "She's four. And he's like, "She's awfully big for four. I'm five. <laughs> it's very cute. I mixed up the honestly. I mixed up the the ages of the donkey and the little girl. How I'm could sorry. you, Lillian? How could you? How embarrassing for you? <laughs> so embarrassing, specifically for me. She then describes for us while she's on there. She's just she has the conversation about Saint. Louis or St. Louis, Mm -hmm. um, where she says, is your person a city? Mm -hmm. If not, then I think that that's irrelevant. And it's St. Louis. And you seem dumb. (laughs) Blue collar job, man, takes with the the greatest dignity. He's so amused by her. Everyone (laughs) is so, Tootie will say the most buck wild shit and everyone will just be like, oh, Tootie. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So she then explains to him how her doll has four deadly and he says, it only takes one. <laughs> so good. And she's going to have to have a funeral for 
Yes. And the idea, too, that when later on, when they learn that they're going to move to New York, she's like, I have to dig up all my dolls from the cemetery. So this is clearly like a regular thing. And I wonder if if it's Tootie's way of getting more toys. Like she gets a doll, decides that they have a, a terminal illness and then buries them in the cigar boxes that her father gives her. So then he brings her home new dolls to replace the old ones. Well, and like, here's the thing for me totally like for sure because these women are the smartest women around the stupidest men the only man who has a single brain cell is grandpa yes oh grandpa oh my god he's such a good character okay i kind of feel like now that we've simply covered the fact that tootie is incredible and i love that she exists i i feel like we need to go through kind of chronologically because there's so many moments i don't want to spoil them so one of my first notes is simply that like again kind of going back to how much I love the immediate family dynamic that they establish right off mm-hmm. the bat of, you know, everyone's singing all these songs and stuff. But I love so much when um, uh, Agnes comes into the house and she's like wearing her like undies or whatever. And she says to her mom, she's like, you should have gone swimming with me, mom. And she's like, yeah, because that's all I have time to do. She's busily making ketchup, by the way, which is so odd. They're all trying to decide how to make ketchup. That is what it is. I really <laughs> thought it was the soup they had later, but that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, maybe because they were pouring it into like bottles, like they look like pop bottles but they're like ketchup bottles i guess it looked very soupy you're right that's wild yeah um but no then i love like she just like casually slips on what i assume are her father's like fancy polished shoes and then just like tromps through the house i like watched it it was the that it was honest to goodness that moment that i was like do these people not know how wild they are and then she puts on her like the polished fancy shoes while dripping wet like she didn't even try to dry off (laughs) that i was like oh this is for me this is a they they are laughing with me for sure yeah it's so cute and we get to go see grandpa and immediately it's established his fun quirkiness with his like hat collection and everything that he's got he's got all these fezes and different things and there's so many quips and wonderful one-liners like when they convince uh is it sarah is that the name of the housekeeper i didn't get that name katie yes when they convince katie that they need to have dinner an hour early because they want to make sure that when um her when rose's boyfriend calls from new york that she doesn't have to be screaming into the telephone with her family sitting there while she ideally gets a proposal which does not happen but i love there's like a line that katie says when she's like she's like i don't know why i have to lie for you guys though like i'm gonna have to be paid more for this and she's like it's just a white lie and her response is a lie is a lie dressing in white won't help it it's like there's so many lines like that and I'm like yes Katie and they're just so quick that like I felt like the whole movie I was like because I was already watched like a like a casual Christmas movie I'm fully wearing a robe right now because I thought it was a cozy time and I was like watching this movie and I was like this is this is very fast like it anybody who like loves Gilmore Girls I actually hilariously there were lines from this that I was like I know that line from it being quoted in Gilmore Girls. If you cool. like Gilmore Girls, this is a very similar like pacing and humor and like the eccentric characters, all of that stuff. Like this would be a movie Rory and Lorelai would watch a hundred thousand times. Awesome. That's so fun. But it's it is one of those things where like every line that happens, you're like watching it go past. And if you think about it for two seconds, you're like, that's the funniest thing anyone said. 
Yes. <laughs> no, I, I would love to go back and, and take a look at the, the writers for this and see what other stuff they've done. Cause yeah, it's, it's very witty. Well, and I just adore like Rose is this character who comes in the door and she's like, got this boyfriend who's definitely going to propose to her. And <laughs> Esther is like very worried about it. Cause this guy has been like such a dick to her. And she's like, she's going to have to say things to get this guy to ask her to marry him. Like we all know <laughs> that you have to do that because men are dumb. And Rose is like, Oh, none of these things matter to me. And then we watch her get devastated over and over again. Cause it does matter to her. But the, she says one of my favorite lines that immediately made me look up the ages of these characters, which is she, <laughs> Rose is talking to Esther. Esther is 17. Rose is all of 18. And she looks at Esther and just goes, my dear, when you're my age, you'll understand what things are important or not important. And like walks up these stairs and I'm like, I'm fully 10 years older than you. And more than one person has referred, referred to this 18 year old as an old maid, which like <laughs> at first I thought was them actually thinking that, but I do think that's the, that's the laughing together thing. It is. It is the joke because um, it's uh, Esther who makes that comment when she's like, when you get as old as roses without a proposal, you start to get worried. And Katie responds with this very sarcastic. She's like, yeah, she's practically an old maid. Like she's like, chill the fuck out. You 17 mm-hmm. year old girl. And like all of her family too. all the adults are like, they're like, wow, you're too young to be thinking about this. But at the same time, like, Esther definitely thinks she's an adult. Yes. And so she definitely thinks that Rose is old. Yes. And yeah. Rose definitely thinks Rose is old. And like she proje- projects the energy of oldest sister mm-hmm. and like thinks that like, n- like, oh, she's just so above all of this petty childish nonsense. <laughs> I don't know about you, Lillian, but I can s- definitely relate to being like 17, 18 and thinking I'm like, oh my gosh, I should have my own apartment in New York City by now. I am such an adult. I know everything. So I love that that is captured very well, I think, in this film. And I'm curious because there's things that I felt this way about where it's like, you and I were those, you of our friend, we knew all these people in high school. You and I were like, we're basically adults. Mm-hmm. We're seconds away. Like we are honestly like too sophisticated for this childish nonsense. <laughs> and I just can see little Piper watching this being like, yeah, you and I are on the same page. I'm like, I got you, Judy Garland. I feel you. We, we are the same. Per- and I'm wondering how it <laughs> felt watching that as an adult being like, really? <laughs> <laughs> That's it's funny you say that because there are I was thinking to myself when watching this because I saw this as like an elementary school kid first Mm -hmm. and more so than relating to um, Esther at the time. The thing that really stood out to me is and I don't want to talk about this too much in detail because I kind of want to get it to it chronologically. Mm -hmm. But in the Halloween section. I remember being very frightened when Tootie went to the Brocklehursts all by herself. Like, because I believed the scary I don't stories. Think it's name of Brocklehurst. Brockle, what is it? It's the the. I the, don't know the name, but it's. It, I would have noticed. I wanted if it was to think it was, it was Broccoli, Mister Broccoli. Um, uh, take the the Brockhursts or yes, something like that. Like, Brockhursts, super close, but it's it very wasn't similar. exactly the same. But yeah, they told all these stories about how scary Mister Brock Brockhurst was, and I was like, I was like, oh my gosh, like. I'm so frightened for Tootie. Like, he's going to do all these awful things. And I was really scared. I believed them when she was going up to the house. But um, what more do we have to talk about in that first little chunk then? So real quick, I just want to say that although their party that they hosted with all of their friends was like a little too like apple pie. The thing about it, though, that I do love is that 
the social dances. That's something yeah. that I always like wanted to do when I was little. And I feel the mm-hmm. same way when I see like the opening ball in Pride and Prejudice. And I'm like, I love the idea that like to be able to, you know, socialize and hang out and have fun, you need to know these dances so you can come to them and like do the routine when everyone's doing them together. Mm-hmm. And I also love too that like back then before they just had like a sound system and a stereo you could put on like the top hits, you needed to have people who could play the piano. Who Like there's that girl who brings her violin and they're like, oh, I'm so glad you brought this because now they can have people who can play the music and like everyone can have all this kind of fun and so that like i don't know to little me i was like i can't wait to go to those parties and we obviously had fun parties but they weren't they were not that it was Mm -hmm. us (laughs) just stuffing our faces full of snacks and like laughing at movies but which honestly that's more my speed i like (laughs) the idea of getting dressed up and doing choreographed dances with all of our friends (laughs) but the prep work for that is not what i would (laughs) do Amazing. As I have established, I am a closeted theater kid. And so little me is like, I can't wait for the rehearsal with all of my friends. We could go do our dances together, which never happened. But oh, well, the other thing that I want to say, because this is one of my biggest like realizations upon this watch through. So you talked about how the boyfriends in this are all a little clueless um, Mm -hmm. compared to the girls. So one of my notes here is I said that all the young women in this movie, they know exactly what they want. They are not necessarily correct, as we've said, they believe that they're these sophisticated like adults. Mm -hmm. But regardless of whether, you know, it's based in truth, they know what they want and they're going for it. And I love seeing that agency. And it's something that I think is reinforced again and again. I think this film beautifully challenges a lot of gender stereotypes we have these like all the boys are very kind of shy and polite and standoffish the girls are the ones who are like they're like i am horny i know what i want i'm going for it like they're they're the ones with agency in this movie they are making Mm -hmm. things happen they're not like even when we have moments where like esther is crying about things she still takes action she doesn't just like wallow waiting for someone else to change things Mm -hmm. um i have another note about that later on when she thinks that John Truitt beat up her five-year-old sister. Oh she my doesn't, God. Like, she doesn't break down and cry. She goes across the street and kicks his ass. And I'm yeah, like, yes, I want to talk about that whole moment. I fully agree. I wouldn't fully put this as like a feminist movie. Like all the things they want are to find men and marry them. And there's fully a line later where Esther says, then Rose won't have to go to college. Like, <laughs> I think there's some 1944, this is this is the goals women should have. But I agree that the way they have agency over it mm-hmm. and the way that they are moving the pieces on the board, I think it's so hilarious. I think it's also so indicative of women. I talk a lot about the idea that like, there's this management style idea of what kind of power do you have? Do you have explicit power or implicit power? And explicit power is what the dad has. The dad has the power where his he is in charge. He's the man of the house. So, so. <laughs> and then everyone else in the house has a thousand times more power because it's all implicit power because they're moving pieces he's unaware of mm-hmm. to make decisions that he's unaware of. Well, he has that great line when he ruins the phone call, um, when, when the guy first calls and everyone's sad and they're blaming him for ruining the fact that she's not going to get this proposal. And he says, he's like, when was I voted out of this family? But, you know, that's something I'm going to talk about in more detail later on when we discuss the dad at the end of the movie. But yeah. I think it's partially because, I mean, he's so busy just trying to like 
be the breadwinner of this family that he's not around for their drama, um, which like creates this whole division. But then later he like tries to, you know, be the man of the house. And he's like, from now on, I'm accepting all phone calls. The phone rings and he's like, Rose, you answer that. So it's like sweet. Like he's, he's like, I'm just, not actually a dictator. I'm just trying to be in charge. That's my job, right? Ex- exactly. That's my job, right? Is this man's whole persona. Like, yeah, I think he would be so much happier if he could just come home from work and do exactly what these women told him to. But they're instead like playing, moving him around on the board like a chess game. But and, Yeah, the one time he puts his foot down, he's like, no, I'm tired from a long day of work. I'm going to go take my bath. And even then everyone's like, rrr, rrr, rrr. and then he slips on the roller skate and, and he's just having a bad time. They're all so mean to him about so the fact. And the moment of like, Tootie, remind me later to give you a spanking. And then Tootie turns to her sister and goes, if I forget to remind him, will you remind me to remind him? <laughs> Okay, so yes, let's talk about... Oh, before we move on to Autumn, I just want to say real quick that um, Esther, she has this comment that she says to Rose earlier when Rose is like, she's like, I'm going to let John Truett kiss me. And Rose is like, good girls don't let guys kiss them until after they're engaged. They don't want to rub off the bloom. And she looks at herself in the mirror and says very seriously, she's like, you know, I think I have too much bloom. She does. (laughs) Because damn girl, the way she seduces that boy, dimming the lights and then standing up there beautifully lit... And he's like, holy shit, I need to leave because I'm a sweet little virgin and I have feelings right now. It's so good. I'm like, damn, get it. Every single thing that she does is one of those, like, you can see the two conversations happening later. Like, obviously, we get the conversations with Esther and Rose. But you could also see, like, John going and talking to his friends be like, yeah, I, like, got to hang out. I, like, helped her because she was scared and I helped turn out all the lights. We stood on the stairs and then I wished her good night. We held hands <laughs> two times. And she's like, I practically stripped for this man. Yeah. And he didn't even kiss me. So he's like fully thinks he's in charge of this moment. And she is definitely in charge of this moment. Oh, it's so dang cute. I love it. Mm. Love it so much. Okay, so it's autumn. It's Halloween. I think the best part of the film, in my opinion. Lillian, tell me some of your thoughts. I was so confused. (laughs) So I didn't know about the structure of the movie when I first, like, when I first started watching it. So, like, I was like, okay, there's clearly been some sort of, like, time jump forward. But I, like, wasn't even looking for the season thing. So Mm -hmm. I was like, what are they doing? And I'm like, why are they encouraging these children to go do this really intense prank? So, like, it took me. And at this point, I'm, like, not 100% catching all of the things that are jokes and the things that are serious. Like, parsing out what they're serious about and what are jokes is not Mm -hmm. 100% easy. Because some of the things they say seriously, I'm like, that has to be a joke, right? Like, for example, her tassel outfit. Sorry, I forgot to talk about that in the summer. You simply must cosplay as Esther at that party and get a dress (laughs) and just cover it in tassels. I always thought that looked like, it's not curtains, but the things that you hang above curtains, Mm -hmm. um, like drapery kind of, it It has a specific word. Yeah, I don't know, but I always thought that she looked like she made her dress out of curtains, just like in Gone with the Wind. So, yeah. Yes. (laughs) So, like, these little kids are getting dressed up like vagabonds. Like, that's probably the word that they would use for it. And I was like, is this, what are they doing? And then they give them little bags of flowers. And it's one of those things where, so to give people an idea of the timeline of this, this is 40, so this movie is supposed to be taking place about 40 years in the past from when the movie is on screen 
Yeah. So it's not long after the turn of the century, right? Like yeah, 1904? 1904 was when the World's Fair was. So the movie yeah. takes place in 1903 and the okay. year prior to the fair. So that is the equivalent of essentially like the 80s. So there's lots of things that they do that I feel like are like references to parents being like, this is what it was like when I was a kid. Like there's just like, it's a different kind of context than the way we're watching it, where it's like, there's an expectation that people understand more about this than I do. So (laughs) they did not say the words Halloween. So I was like, what the hell is happening? Why are you letting, but like, it's clear that the adults are in on this, right? Like that's clear from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's clear that the children just like have their own thing that they're doing. But I also now get why they started doing trick-or-treating instead of whatever the hell that was. Yes. No, the pranks were much more severe. So the um, they're all given bags, like sacks with flour in it. And the idea is that instead of like getting treats necessarily, you're just kind of going up to your neighbor's door, knocking when they open the door, you quote unquote, kill them by throwing flour into their face and saying, I hate you and running away. So it's like, but also the neighbors are clearly aware that these pranks are going to happen when she does see Mr. Brocklehurst. I'm just going to call him Brocklehurst. Yeah, I feel like that's his name. It's close. Um, it's close enough. Yeah. When she sees Mr. Brocklehurst, he answers the door and he just stands there looking at her and he literally goes, he's like, well, like he's expecting, he's like, I know you're here to throw flour in my face. And he mm-hmm. lets the cute, terrified little five-year-old do that prank. Well, um, and they do a really good job before they leave the house of making it clear that this mm-hmm. is like a thing the adults are all in on because they're like, hey, by the way, the neighbor said after you take their hammock, please remember to bring it back tomorrow. And also, and like all the furniture that they're burning. Cause like once the little girls went outside, it was like, they're just burning furniture. And then you realize <laughs> that all the furniture is broken before they throw it in. So it's like people take their broken furniture and put it out in the front yard. And then these kids take it and burn it while they're dressed up <laughs> like poor people. Cause it's fun to cosplay poverty when you're wealthy. Although no, what they say is when um, she, goes down to scare Katie she's like I thought you were a drunken ghost and she's like I am she's like I'm a drunken ghost and Tootie is a horrible ghost <laughs> like that those are their costumes <laughs> but another incredible. thing that I loved is every single boy that they encounter out at by the bonfire is dressed as a woman it's just Halloween is just like just being drag <laughs> oh my god yes. it's amazing um, and they immediately, like, and then the two little girls go out there and there's this moment where the kids are looking at them. And it's like, clearly they've both sort of scared each other a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're like, who are you? And then the older sister pulls off her mask and goes, it's me! And this is Judy! <laughs> and Judy's kind of like, I wanted to scare them for real. Yeah. It's so cute, though. They're assigning all of these, like, prank brigades to go off and cause trouble around town. But and they everyone... all go together. Yes, but everyone's too afraid to go to Mr. Brocklehurst's house because there's all of these rumors, like, that the kids have spread that he... <laughs> it's so funny. They're like, he poisons cats. And everyone... the adults at home are playing in the lung. They're like, no, he poisons cats. And Tootie's like, yes, first he buys meat, then he buys poison, and then he puts them together. Like, she explains how... <laughs> one might poison a cat <laughs> and then he puts them because that's how little kids little kids would be like how would he even do that how do you poison a cat <laughs> 
But also one thing that I thought was so fucking wild is that they're telling all these rumors about the scary man. So first of all, fact one, he poisons cats. Second of all, he beats his wife with a red hot poker. But the worst atrocity that you swore not to tell is that he someone peeped in his window and saw empty whiskey bottles. Like that's drinking is worse than beating your wife with a red hot poker and poisoning cats. I know I swore not to tell this, but I crossed my fingers on my left hand so it doesn't count. <laughs> I have seen alcohol at Piper's house before. <gasps> you bitch. <laughs> you tell my secret. <laughs> I am telling on you when we get home, Lily. And, and you know what that means. If she does the worst of the crimes that Tootie has just described this man doing, then she's definitely also done crimes of murdering cats and beating Sam with a hot poker. Yeah, honestly, I was gonna. Uh, it makes more sense <laughs> that you're the one perpetuating that. Yeah, you know, uh, someone's got to do it. <laughs> I've given Sam a code phrase if he needs to get out of there, but he hasn't used uh, it yet. Amazing. Um, so uh, yeah, so she uh, she uses her own flower to go and kill him. She becomes the most horrible. But then this sets Trudy on an awful bad spree because Crimes. she. And, uh, okay, so do you want to try and explain the confusion of what happens this evening? Yes, because I didn't understand it at all. It Give it your best shot. It doesn't make sense. Like, I understood it after the, like, everything is explained. But mm-hmm. Esther is coming home from wherever she was at. A party. A party. Um, and she party. hears a scream. And then the whole family freaks out because they recognize that as Tootie's scream. And they heard the streetcar. And so they think that Tootie might have gotten caught hit by the streetcar. And then Esther, like the whole family's running around. Esther comes in carrying Tootie in her arms. And they're like, Tootie, Tootie, did you get hurt by the streetcar? And then Tootie's like, no, it was John. And this is a moment of like, everyone is very serious about this. Like they yes. believe that John hit this five-year-old and -hmm. first Esther doesn't believe it and then she does believe it and then she's like you know what if John beat my sister I'm gonna beat John and I loved it she goes across the street and a very confused boy is sitting on his porch thinking that he saved (laughs) the sister because what so we don't know this while we're watching him I Mm -hmm. didn't know the plot so he's sitting on his porch what happened? What actually happened was Tootie and the other kids in town made a fake lady that they put on the streetcar tracks so the streetcar would think it was hitting a person. And the <laughs> cops came, and John saw Esther's little sisters there and thought that he would help Esther out by hiding them away so they don't get in trouble with the cops. Now mm-hmm. Tootie's like. Police never bother little girls. Yes. Like her Which is how Tootie gets away with all her crimes. <laughs> it's so funny that they have that line. She's like, as if cops ever pay attention to girls. <laughs> She's like, I can murder people. <laughs> like, they like- literally attempted murder. So it's like super funny, but she's like, so that's why she was trying to get out. And like, it sounds like she was like fighting him and he accidentally hit her. And that's how she got hurt. Like that's kind of how they make it sound. But Esther goes and is like, how dare you bully a child? Like that's a five-year-old little girl and beats the shit out of him and then bites him when he, and he's not trying to fight back. He's just trying to like hold her still so he can explain. And she bites him and tells him to never talk to her again and then runs away. Away. and he goes back he's like i ripped my dress but i got him i'm so good 
she's so proud of herself and i'm so proud of her i'm like yes if i thought someone punched my five-year-old sister i would also go and kick his ass so, so good. amazing then of course tootie and agnes reveal the truth they're awful brats who tried to kill a bunch of people on a train and <laughs> mortified um ethel no, not ethel um esther goes back across the street to apologize it is such a cute moment it's so cute because um he fucking loved getting his ass beat by that girl <laughs> he says so he's like it's no worse than football practice but it's better with a girl and it's like fuck yeah john hell yeah <laughs> so all i'm saying i'm not gonna go into a great deal of depth on this but that is not the only time that john alludes to being very kinky <laughs> yes 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 agreed um so apart from that adorable like the truth is revealed scene mm-hmm. we then i th- i love that they did a mirror of when um esther was first trying to like seduce him about asking him to turn off the lights with him because he's afraid of mu- so she's afraid cute. of mice he tries to do the same line and he's like will you help me i'm afraid of mice and she's like the lights are already off and then he like grabs her and kisses her and before when he left the party and was too afraid to kiss her then he simply shakes her hand and says you've got an awfully strong grip for a girl and leaves <laughs> Then after he kisses her this night, she says, you've got an awfully strong grip for a boy. And then she like waltzes away in her lovesick stupor to go back home. It's so cute. And I think the most romantic line in the movie is when she he's like trying to get her to like he's finally found after she beats the shit out of him. He's finally found his confidence. Yes. (laughs) And. <laughs> so she says, he says, can you turn off the lights? And she she goes, the lights are already off. And he goes, it'll only take a minute to turn them all back on. And sh- and she's like, well, that's a waste of a minute. And he goes, it would be worth the minute. And then he kisses her. And I'm like, swoon. Yeah, it's very that's cute. very cute. It's so cute. And then she immediately comes home and her sisters tease her with this great little thing. Where they're like, roses are red. John's name is Truett. Esther's in love. And we always knew it. And I'm like, you, you clever babies. <laughs> also, um, I just need to mention that uh, at this time, because like Rose is obsessed with like finding an older man to like propose to her or whatever. And uh-huh. she thinks that all the boys that she's actually involved with are too young. But after this party, she gets some colonel, like wealthy older guy to like drive her home. But hold Holy shit, he's got two trained Dalmatians who can run under his carriage. And I'm like, yeah, girl, I'd also try to snag that. Who is that guy? (laughs) So amazing. Side character who we never see again. So incredible. And just like the amount, the way that these two sisters support each other in their buck wild pursuit of men. (laughs) So good amazing so we then dad comes home thinking that he's got wonderful news because he's like guess he's what so dumb i i like the dad and i feel bad for him here's the thing he has okay i'm doing a quick count we got yeah. one two three four five he's got five children one of which is already paid to send to yale or whatever and he's planning princeton, to send his yes. princeton he's planning to send his eldest daughter to um college as well and who knows how many others so he's got to afford their lavish lifestyle with their high fashions all of these mouths to feed he's one guy doing a job and he's like you know what i want to keep my family happy even though they bully me every time i come home so the one way i could do that to keep them like in high sought style is to like take this job offer i was given because he's a junior partner at a law firm even though he's kind of old for that but anyway he comes well, home i think it's i don't think it's like jun- i think it's like junior part like he's a partner but of the like 
partners, he's a junior one. Okay, yeah. Anyway, but he tells them, he's like, I got a job offer. Um, I get to run the law firm in New York City. So we're going to move there. Isn't that great? And everyone is suddenly heartbroken. And mm-hmm. they're like, no, we don't want to leave. This is where our friends are. This is where like our society is. And I'll assume the World's Fair is going to be here and blah, 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 blah. And they all have their own reasons for getting super upset. And they storm off and he's like, I guess I'm the bad guy. Although I have to say there's an incredible line right before it happens because they're all just like attacking him at once. And they're like, it's all about money, isn't it? And I think Rose <laughs> says, she's like, I loathe, detest and abominate money. And he says, you also spend it. <laughs> but yeah. they have this kind of family falling out and he just sort of sits there and he's like, I didn't realize I was going to ruin everyone's night. Like I can't do anything right. And his wife, I think they have a great relationship. He mm-hmm. and his wife, she, even though she's like kind of frustrated with this decision, she sits down at the piano and plays a song that means a lot to both of them. And he goes and he sings a duet with her. And then the whole family hears their parents playing the music downstairs. And then they all come together again. And it's this really cute moment of like, okay, maybe we all overreacted because we're kind of, I think, slightly like spoiled brats. But yeah, we'll make this work, whatever happens. The family For will be sure. together. For sure, they're spoiled brats. For sh- There's no question. <laughs> but this, you shouldn't, like, this man has no awareness of, like, he just... You think that your family's going to be thrilled about this? Like, you just are missing the point there, bud. But I also feel like that's the way he was sold it at work, too. Like, Mm. can't you just see his boss being like, I have some great news for you. You're going to be the head of an office. We're going to send you to New York City, the big city, the fancy city, where your family's going to be thrilled to live. Aren't you so excited? Can't you just, like, not even wait to give this information to your family with no context or thinking about the fact that they're not going to get to hang out with their friends anymore or anybody that they know or the city that they (laughs) live? love yeah so i i don't think he's malicious i just think he's dumb yeah just a little (laughs) clueless i think once again you and i we both kind of summed it up well when we were first talking about him at the dinner scene is that he's a guy who's trying to play the part that he's supposed to do and he's just keeps failing and but he's a guy who's trying his best and he's just i think really tired from work because you're not supposed to come home and be like hey i got offered this promotion like what do you think honey like if he had talked that through with his wife for two seconds she would have been like listen it sounds great but honestly with the cost of living difference in new york we're not going to have that much better of a lifestyle and also our children will hate you Mm -hmm. um tootie will say to you (laughs) i'd rather be an orphan with the orphanage (laughs) yes it's very cute which by the way we didn't mention this yes uh do you recognize tootie from one of our did recognize tootie jane Eyre is adele in the 1943 jane Eyre. yeah I think one of the cutest Adele's we've ever seen. One of the cutest. And I have some truly great news about the actress who played Tootie. So Mm. she was a very famous child actress, like very famous child actress in the, during the golden age of Hollywood. And she is still alive and doing well. She's 87 years old. She's out here being her cool self. And I bet she still buries dolls in people's yards. Wouldn't that be nice? Aw, cool. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I'm glad she's still out there doing great things. Okay, so it is wintertime, kind of the big climax of this story. First of all, I just want, we don't need to dwell on this, but I have to say it out loud. I hate that they do a like incorrect portrayal of corsets in this movie, mm. which every single modern film is like corsets were torture devices. And it's like, no, they were literally just 
bras before bras. They supported women and they actually gave you good back support. It was only weirdo dudes who were like, tie them so you can't breathe. That was not how it was. Okay. So eh, saying that out loud, I can send you all videos to prove this research. Anyway, so the girls are going to go to their last Christmas ball before they leave uh, for New York City. And there's all this expectation around it. So that's why they're doing the corsets, because they have to be like the best. They also, Rose especially, feels rather threatened because this one girl is coming. And her, Rose's supposed to be fiance, who never proposed, he is taking that this other girl to the dance. And so she's like, I have to go make him jealous. We have to ruin this girl's night. How dare she take my guy away? Lillian, I have an important question for you, Mm. though. As uh, Rose and Esther debated as they were getting ready for this ball, do you think you and I could handle 20 men on our own? I was also thinking about that. I was like, could Piper and I handle 20 men on our own? And the short answer is absolutely. 100% easily in our sleep. Uh, Listen, I could take, I can guarantee you I can take eight if you can take the rest. Yes. It's a deal, (laughs) Lillian. Let's go. Let's get them. It's so good. And then if you back out, I can't do 20 men. I'll be honest. I can't take 20 men on my own. The the drama of these young women is so funny. I love it. I just fainted, guys, in case you were wondering. Lillian, speaking of drama, which you said Mm -hmm. in your summary that you thought uh, they had very, like, roundabout ways of solving what you thought were simple problems. Would you like Mm -hmm. to explain the drama leading up to the ball? Yes. (laughs) But I'm not going to not tell. I'm going to insert what the actual solution to this. Because you know me. I'm a, I'm a problem solver. I'm out here <laughs> fixing things. So tragically, John was playing basketball. And he know the good news is, unlike their dad, who does not know what he did to fuck up when he comes home, John knows that he made a big mistake. Because he's like, hi, um... Esther, I did maybe the worst thing and you're probably going to hate me. Um, I went to pick up my tux and it was closed because I was playing basketball with my friends and I lost track of time. And by the time I got there, it was closed. And she immediately comes up with good solutions. Like, can you borrow a tux from someone? And he goes, no, like everybody who has a tux is going to the ball. And then she's like, okay, well, what about your dad's? And he was honestly, that was my dad's tux because I'm 17 and it would be wild for me to own my own. (laughs) And she goes, and he keeps just being like, you hate me, right? Like we could do something else tonight. And she goes, no, I'm just going to stay home (laughs) and pack because I'm leaving. (laughs) She's so sad. It's a devastated 17 year old. So sad. And she's so sweet too. Cause he keeps being like, you hate me. And she goes, no. I don't hate you. I hate basketball. <laughs> Dude, I can s- relate with her so much in that so moment. So much. I feel like I've had so many things where I'm like, I'm just looking forward to this one thing and I can't wait. And I, I think about it so much. And then life happens, some little accident, mm-hmm. and then somebody like can't go or for whatever reason we can't go. And I'm like, I don't want to be a spoiled brat and cry right now, but I'm also devastated. <laughs> and so she goes up and talks to Rose and there's a whole weird thing where the brothers, we were never the girls who needed boys to take us to dances. We just went um, as we girls. We just went as girls. <laughs> and it literally did not occur to me, which I think it's still, I don't know if it is today, but like it still was a thing where like people sort of were disappointed if they didn't have dates. I never was, Mm -hmm. but like, I get it. We're like, but I just like literally never considered not going to the dances just because we didn't have guys to take us. Like, that's Mm -hmm. so wild. Um, But like, I get it. So her brother is going to, Rose's brother is taking her, which feels so much worse to me. 
than just going by yourself, but whatever. And so then Esther, who talked Rose into going with their brother, she's like, he'll just take both of us. It's like not a problem. And she's like, no, it's pathetic for the two of us to go with our brother. Like, I'm not pathetic like you. I'm pretty and smart and people like me. And then, so then Rose like goes off to get mom to solve the problem. And grandpa comes in and very sweetly is like comforting her and says one of the greatest lines of the movie, which is it's not often that pretty girls have a real legitimate reason for crying. See, I thought one of the best lines is when he's like, he's trying to be very subtle about like, I'll take you to the dance. Like I'll be your date or whatever, which is so cute to go with your grandpa. I think that's freaking adorable. But he like has this other line too. He's like, he's like, you know, I took my, my tux out of the mothballs the other day. And, uh, you know, tuxes are like men every now and then they want to go out with a pretty dress. And it's just like, he's being very cute. A great grandpa. Very cute. Do you, can you guess what the solution to the problem is in my mind? Um, they just go without dates. No. Is that your solution? What is your solution, Lillian? What is the reason John can't go? Oh, that John just wears a normal suit and not a tux. No! John <laughs> wears grandpa's tux! Why oh, can't yeah. John, John... There's no tux for him to borrow! He's not above borrowing a tux, but nobody has a tux he can borrow. Uh, but her grandpa know. just took the tux out of mothballs. And instead <laughs> of her boyfriend borrowing... I thought that's what was going to happen. I didn't think grandpa was taking her... I thought Grandpa was going to loan his tux to boyfriend. Cute. <laughs> it was so simple. I don't know, dude. Um, but either way, in the end, Rose goes with the brother and uh, Esther goes with Grandpa. Their plan is to sabotage this girl whose name is Lucille. Um, she's this girl from the East mm-hmm. Coast uh, that Rose's boyfriend met while in college. Um, and they're like, we are going to fill up her dance card with the most awkward weirdos here at this ball. And then Lucille arrives. She's a peach. She's a gem. She's a sweetie pie. Uh, she actually suggests that Rose dance with her boyfriend and that girl from New York dances with uh, older brother. They have a thing for each other, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so then grandpa finds out that they were planning on doing this thing. He kind of gives her this look and Esther decides to not be a bad person. And she gives Lucille her dance card. And then she takes Lucille's card that has all the, all the annoying people on it and mm-hmm. spends the night dancing with weird children, tall, gangly scarecrows, uh, uncoordinated goofballs. <laughs> Uh, And is finally gets to dance with grandpa and she's like crying in his arms because she's like, it's our last ball in St. Louis and I'm having a horrible time. (laughs) But I guess uh, fate rewards her for taking the high road. And then, lo, it's John. And I guess he got his suit somehow because he's been waiting behind the Christmas tree and she gets to dance with her boyfriend. Yeah, Grandpa (laughs) sees John walk in, I think, is the moment that we see. And then magically they transition. And it's very cute. It's very well done. And I think the most important thing for us to talk about in the entire movie is the dress Judy Garland was wearing. I was going to say, we need to have a fashion moment because all of the fashion in this is wild. I adore that red dress. Wow. It's so good. I loved it. I loved all the, all the dresses they were wearing were like really pretty. That dress, like I loved so much, but like uh, everything she wore was like, I can't imagine it was accurate. We'll have to check in with some of our listeners who know things about fashion. Can't imagine that was accurate, but like, the shirt that she wears when she beats up John with the little, like, beautiful, like, not like, pearl balls white. on it. Yeah. Uh-huh. No, so pretty. 
but beautiful out there. Yeah, I think a lot of it was just kind of like a big like studio costume versions mm-hmm. of like the fashion of the time. I think her her Christmas outfit it only gets better through the night because we then later when uh John after the ball he proposes to mm-hmm. Esther, very cute. Um in which case they're standing under this like snowy tree and she's wearing this beautiful like kind of scarf knitted scarf thing around her head mm-hmm. that has like the silver that's in it and so it's all sparkly and she's got this big coat that's kind of like i think like a cream color but when she removes the coat you see that it has like a red satin lining which is one of my favorite fashion things ever is when a coat has a colorful lining that matches her dress so she gets proposed to she then goes home and sees how sad her sister trudy is uh she's also waiting up for santa claus and seeing how sad her sister is about the move she then sings the now iconic have yourself a merry little christmas which i want to talk about because i didn't really again most times when i watch this i'm just kind of being like oh yeah we watch this every single year i know all this stuff but i was sitting there listening to this song and it has kind of a melancholy to it. And mm-hmm. it's that's for sort of in in the time of the story of the movie. It's because, you know, she too is rather sad. They're going to be moving away from their family and their loved ones and their friends. But I was then thinking about like what time this movie came out. This movie mm-hmm. was released in 1944, which mm-hmm. was a year before World War II ended. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the movies that were made during that time were this kind of like escapism. It was, I think that's a big part of why this movie is so kind of like apple pie, like the perfect mm-hmm. American family, happy, reminiscent times. But this song, I think, really has a feeling of like, this is a Christmas song that would be written during wartime mm-hmm. of, you know, saying like, through the years, we'll all be together if the fates allow and all this other stuff of like, our loved ones are maybe overseas fighting right now. There's kind of a sad melancholy to it, but sort of a look towards a happier future. So that really stood out to me when hearing that song this time and watching it and thinking about the context of when it was written. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it was really emotional. It was a very sweet moment. And I think it was a, it's a lovely song that I've always loved and always been like sort of seen that dual, like that it's such a specific emotion that I think is so tied to a particular parts of the holiday where it's like that song starts nostalgic, right? Like when it came out, it was nostalgic. Like there's nostalgia in the way that that song is written, Yeah, I think there's something about that that is very indicative of Christmas in so many ways to me, Mm -hmm. where it's like the ways that we talk about tradition and the ways that like people's expectations are and then like the ways that inevitably with (laughs) expectations that high, like it's also this marking of the passage of time, like where it's right before New Year's and we're celebrating the past year and we're celebrating what's coming up and we're all getting together and especially like as we get older you can see each other less and less often and so you don't get the opportunities to to be together in that way like I just think it's like so indicative of this like the nostalgia the all the emotions of Christmas I think is really impactful about that moment too is that we've talked a lot about how early on Esther and Rose act as if they are these very mature people and we see their the immaturity in their actions. And mm-hmm. I think these final scenes during Christmas time, I think Esther is really coming into her maturity when she decides to take the high road and not prank this girl when she, even though she's sad, she has this moment to kind of comfort her sister. And there is a greater maturity there in her. We've seen her growth in this one mm-hmm. year. And I think that's really beautiful. 
Uh, and that I think comes together really well in those moments. Yeah, totally. And I think even that moment of the proposal too, where he proposes and you, you really feel the fact that they both know they're 17, right? Mm-hmm. Cause it's like, they could get married, they, he goes, I don't have to go to college. I don't have to be an engineer. I'll just get a job and support you the way that like, cause he knows that's what you'd have to do. And they're both like, she is choosing to let them live in this fantasy moment for mm-hmm. uh, the ne- rest of the night because she wants to marry him. She loves him. She says she's going to marry him. She really genuinely wants to do that. And they're afraid of what happens if you go across the country they're not going to make it. They might not see each other again. And so she doesn't want to lose him, but they, they go from this like very sweet proposal where they're going to be happy and they're living in that fantasy to her coming down to reality for a minute with that maturity you're talking about and being like, can we just wait until tomorrow morning? And can we let this be just for us now? Because she knows she's not going to marry him. Like, she's going to New York. Like, she's not going to marry. She she might marry. Like, they might figure something out where it's like they get engaged or whatever. Like, but it's more complicated than that. And she wants yeah. to live in the fantasy of that moment. Because he's going to go to school. And she's not going to abandon her crying sister who wants to go to New York. Who has to go to New York <laughs> and is afraid. Like, yeah. So I think it's all that whole, like, from the moment of the dance being over mm-hmm. to the end of that. It is that like very nostalgic, sweet, like all of this stuff Um, and builds up to a moment that I really saw cut. Like you're not having a movie this sweet and nostalgic and these people are moving to New York. It's called Meet Me in St. Louis. Are you kidding me? I was going to say, especially, yes, the the fact of the name of the film itself. Yeah, dad sees his, el- he, he sees his daughter comforting Tootie. He sees how much this is affecting them. And I think it's actually the moment of when he sees that Esther is willing to kind of put her own emotions aside, where before she's only been like, this is going to suck. I don't want to do this. But now for her sister's sake, she's like, no, we'll have snow people in New York. It's going to be great. I promise you. And he's like, I, this, my decision is like making my family have to go through all this. So, you know what? I'm going to undo this decision. We're staying. He wakes up the family. He calls them all down. He's like, we're going to stay right here. I'm a junior partner. I'll put my foot down. I'm not going to go there. It's going to be great. Everyone's happy. Uh, Whatever Rose's weird boyfriend's name is, he rushes in and does the worst proposal. I thought it was hilarious, though. It was so It's very funny. But yeah, he's like, he's like, he just rushes into the room while they're having this great family moment. And he's like, I can't stand it anymore. He's like, you and I are getting married and that's final. He pauses, looks back at her and says, I love you. And then he like leaves. (laughs) (laughs) So good. And the dad is great. He's like, he's like, yeah, like, I hope you're very happy. I hope to meet that young man someday (laughs) as he like runs out the door. So funny. That's kind of my last thoughts on it. There's a, they, they all then go after they're staying, they're all happy. And then we cut forward to them going to the fair all together, wearing the most elaborate outfits. Yes, they all are dressed in white. Um, so good. Though I think the mom's outfit is my favorite because oh, for sure. the the underside of her hat, it's like styled kind of like a Roman, like a Grecian column, mm-hmm. like stonework, which is so cool. I They talk about, they're like, D- D- Grandpa, do you think they'll ever tear down this pavilion? And he's like, they better not. I literally pulled out my phone. I'm like, is that thing still there? Because they built these insanely beautiful palatial buildings, yeah. which, by the way, fun fact, 
I looked into this. Um, so one of the like chief designers for this architecture, his name was Emmanuel Lewis Masqueray. And after he did this like big design project for the, the World's Fair, he was then called to Minnesota by Archbishop John Ireland, where he nice. then designed the St. Paul Cathedral in our wow. in our capital. Hooray. Nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, lots of the world's fair stuff, the world's fair, like that's how we got the Eiffel tower. Mm -hmm. Um, so lots of very cool things built from that, but yeah, I think it's very, it's a very cute little wrap up. Tootie says some cute stuff. It's just a very cute little family scene. And we have that warm moment and then they say the name of the movie. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Officially can roll credits. (laughs) (laughs) Except they roll the credits at the beginning. So it's just over. Like, I'm like, that's really jarring <laughs> but yeah all in all cute movie very cute movie I, what's your rating of it piper i'm going to give it nine out of ten horrible drunken ghosts whoa yeah i'm gonna give it don't be mad i'm gonna give it seven out of ten i think it's a very cute movie i think it's got very cute things i think it's fun and it's wildly Christmassy to me, even though there's only like five (laughs) minutes of Christmas. But I think there's some problems that I just had no desire to dwell in. Well, that's fine. No worries. To each their own, Lillian. (laughs) I will not be finding you in a Kmart about this. Also, seven out of ten tooties. Sorry. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Which is similar. I had a horrible drunken ghost, and that is also tootie. Mine's just (laughs) regular tooties being her regular self burying those dolls she also i love her obsession with this little song that she is always wanting to sing and they're like that's a bad song and she's like i was drunk last night dear mother (laughs) but like that's also a classic things kids do is they sing something where like like the number of songs they've listened back to i was like whoa that's like really about sex yeah (laughs) no i i definitely have nostalgia glasses for this but i also i don't know i think i was still having kind of my just like critical lens on and i just think this is a charming film it i stand by charming. my fact that i think it does a wonderful job of not just simply playing into all gender stereotypes i love I these for sure. strong women and i think they were probably subconsciously somewhat role models for me when i was little Cute. so i was like i will also go and beat up boys and also swoon over boys so yay thanks for that movie yeah <laughs> well if you have lots of thoughts about meet me in st louis or feel the need to express to us that you're mad about the fact that we didn't watch your movie um <laughs> you can do that on social media we're at Airbuds across all platforms and next week we will be back to talking about jane Eyre in a radio adaption with vincent price from a year i didn't put in my notes but the one and only vincent price is the one i flipped out about when i found out that he at one point did a voice for rochester i'm like oh my god so i can't wait for that it's gonna be fun wonderful <laughs> Um, yeah, we're we're very excited about it. It's a little Christmas present for Piper. That is our last Jane Eyre of the year because then we're going to do a little mini Christmas episode and then send you guys off into 2023, you guys. Hooray! A new year. It'll have been uh, pretty much a year of this podcast, too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So very exciting. We love you all. Uh, whatever you celebrate, if you celebrate anything, um, I hope you have a good time with it. Uh, yeah. yeah, if you are a fan of Christmas stuff, pop this on. It's very nostalgic and fun. But until next time, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we love you. Happy Jane Eyre reading and watching. Bye. Bye. Bye.